Our sermon text this morning is from James 2, 14 to 26. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that, and shudder. You foolish person. Do you not want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do, and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body with, without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Adam. Good morning again, everybody. We are grateful to be worshiping with you today. Um, I was text on there uh, sending messages a minute ago. Please say hello if you're here. Please send any prayer requests that you have. Um, this is one of those moments where we want to maximize our interaction. So uh, it's great to know you're out there. It's great to know we are doing the same thing together, that we're all here worshiping the Lord as one. Um, so... How are you doing? That's a question I'd love to know the answer to. I've gotten the chance to pray with quite a few of you this week through some of our online prayer. We're doing that every morning and evening during the weekdays. Uh, it's our website slash prayer, ctkjproxbury.org slash prayer. You can find the links to all that stuff. Um, over the days that I've prayed with you, though, I've uh, gotten to hear how... A lot of you are doing. I think we're at that point now where in our third week of online services, uh, our, it's somewhere around our third week of being stuck inside our homes. We're getting to that point where the novelty is wearing off. We're getting tired of uh, oh, yeah. this new reality that we're living in and starting to feel some of that pressure. I know some people have told me that they're feeling bored and that they're feeling lonely. Some people have told me they're feeling overwhelmed with the pressures of parenting or teaching their children or working from home. They're frustrated by having to deal with all this technology. Or maybe you're worried about your health. Maybe you're worried about your, your finances. And then on top of all that, right, we are, we're watching the news, we're seeing the big picture, we're seeing these other things that are happening around the globe where people are sick, where they're dying, there's uncertainty in our economy. And the question that's on my mind is, what difference does faith make 
in a time like this. When the whole world seems to be experiencing this same crisis, how does knowing Jesus make our lives any different? How does knowing Jesus make our life better? How does Jesus make a difference? That's the question I want us to answer today. And and these are times when I think faith, it brings comfort. Faith can bring us comfort. But I hope as we study the passage, we're going to find that faith brings a lot more than comfort. I hope that as we look at this passage, we're going to come away realizing that in these moments of isolation and confusion, God has given us a source not only for comfort, but for real power. And so today, I want us to find a few things in this text. One, I want us to see a theological truth. Two, I want us to see a practical application. And then I want us to see a faithful response. So a truth, application, and response. So the first thing I want to talk about is that theological truth, because that is what's at the center of this text. It's stated very clearly, actually. We're in John chapter 2. If you've got Bibles, open them up. Um, James chapter 2, last verse of our passage, he says, very simply, faith without deeds is dead. That's pretty simple. Faith without deeds is dead. Now, in order to make that point, James makes an entire argument based off of Old Testament stories, and that argument can be a little bit confusing when you first read it. Uh, Specifically, he uses the example of Abraham to prove his point. Now, Abraham was a patriarch. He was the founding father of the people of Israel. When God first came to Abraham, uh, Scripture tells us that he was already an old man. But God promised this old man that he would make him a father of a great nation. This man who had no children, he said, would become the father of a great nation. And then, as his story unfolds, we read that most of Abraham's life is about the fulfillment of that promise, which took a long time. It took many years for God to fulfill that promise. But in his old age, God did finally give him a son, Isaac. And he loved his son deeply. If you have children, or if you are someone's child, then you know that parents love their kids. There is a natural instinct for parents to protect their children to nourish their children, to give them happy lives, to help them flourish. And Adam and and Abraham, he felt that love for his child, Isaac. But not only that, not only did he love his child like any parent would love his child, he also saw Isaac as the physical representation of God's promise to him. The specific promise that God made to Abraham was uh, in Genesis 12. You can read it. God said, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, 
and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So this young child, Isaac, this child who Abraham loved, was also the hope for the blessing of the entire world. He said, I'm going to bless the whole world through you. And Isaac was an integral part of that. And then in Genesis 22, we read this story that James is referring to in our letter today. God asks Abraham to do the unthinkable. He asks Abraham to sacrifice his child. The pain that command would have caused Abraham is unimaginable. Losing a child is terrible. He was losing his child, but he was also losing his own entire future and the terrible thing that would have to be done, he would have to do it with his own hands. But Abraham, he agrees to do it. And he takes his son to the top of Mount Moriah and he ties him to the altar and he reaches for the knife and God tells him to stop. God says in Genesis 22, Abraham, Abraham, here I am. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld your son from me, your only son. God says, I know you're faithful. I see your faith. But interestingly enough, years before that took place, in Genesis 15, we find out that God has already counted Abraham as righteous. In Genesis 15, it says, before Isaac is ever born, God's making the promise, and he says, a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And then he took him outside and he said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said, so shall your offspring be. And verse 6 says, Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Now, in the passage that we're studying today, James uses uh, that story, the story of Isaac on the altar, to show that this was the moment that proved the declaration God had made in Genesis 15. That this moment on the mountaintop was, was the proof that God had already declared of what God had already declared in chapter 15, where, where he counted him as righteous and faithful. In Genesis 22, Abraham showed his faith by his actions. And the point, again, is pretty simple, that faith without deeds is dead. That's the point. Faith without deeds is dead. If you're at home, you can repeat that. I'll give you a second. Because Abraham had faith, because Abraham believed God's promise and his power and his character, he was willing to act in faith, in obedience. But you might be asking, you probably are asking, 
Why would Abraham go along with this plan? Why would he go along with a plan that would require him perhaps to murder his own child? Why would he do that? Well, it's because Abraham knew God. Abraham knew God personally. He was a friend of God. He knew God wasn't evil. He knew God loved him. And so he knew that whatever was going to happen, God would come through. Even if that meant he was going to have to bring Isaac back from the dead. Imagine for a moment if in some parallel universe, Abraham had come to this crossroads. And he had looked at his son, and he looked at God, and then he said, you know what, God? No thanks. This is too much. I'm, I can't obey that command. I'm going to ignore that command, and instead, I'm going to save my son. I'm going to go the way that makes the most sense to me. Now, if he had done that, it, it would have meant that he really didn't have faith, right? He, that his real faith would have been in his own plans, his own understanding of his future, his own knowledge of how things are supposed to work. It would have shown that Isaac, not God, was his real hope for deliverance. Now, that's a, little, a lot of background to help us understand this text. But we need that because people get hung up on this passage, especially verse 24. In verse 24 of James chapter 2, it says, You see, a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Now, the reason people get hung up on that passage is because in Romans, Paul also talks about this story. In Romans 3 and 4, he uses this very same story. And as he's describing this story, one of the things he says is, a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So James, he says, a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. And Paul says a person is justified by faith only, apart from the works of the law. So is that a contradiction? Do Paul and James contradict each other? Well, no, they don't. And if you read Paul's writings, you know that, that he and James are in lockstep on this point. They both believe that faith is an active faith, that faith produces good works. Paul even says himself that the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Paul and James, they both teach that faith is evidenced by our lives. But it just so happens they use the same story to make different points in different parts of Scripture. See, Paul, when he, in Romans, he's talking about the source of our salvation. He's saying that we cannot do anything to earn God's favor. In Genesis, God showed up to Abraham. God made all the promises to Abraham. The only thing Abraham did was believe. 
And he didn't do anything to earn that. And it was decades before this event took place on Mount Moriah. Abraham did not earn his salvation from God, right? He didn't go and track God down and say, look, I'm a good guy. You should bless me. I'll follow all these rules and I'll prove to you I'm worthy. No, that's not the story. He was saved by faith before he did any of that stuff. Paul's talking about the, the beginning, the source of our salvation, but James is talking about the result of our salvation. Yes. He's looking towards the end of the story. He's looking towards those, that moment when we finally stand before God. And he says that in that moment, what saves us is not some set of beliefs that we have memorized. What saves us is not that when the census comes around, we check that box that says Christian, or that we enjoy talking about theology, or we're the kinds of people who wake up on a Sunday and, and stream a church service. He says what saves us is a living relationship with God that impacts and transforms every single aspect of our lives. Let me say that again. What saves us is a living relationship with God that impacts and transforms every single aspect yes. of our lives. Amen. Amen. We are saved by faith, but faith is a powerful force. Faith changes the way we live. Faith changes the things that we hope in. Faith makes us act differently. And if our faith doesn't do that, it's defective. If our faith doesn't change the way we live, it isn't real. It's dead. It is a carcass that we have decided to call faith, but it's not faith. It's not alive. And that means that someday when we stand before the Lord, we won't know him. And he won't know us. So that's the, the theological truth in this passage. Faith without deeds is dead. But then there's a, a practical application that comes out of this. This is the second thing I want to talk about. So the theological point is faith without deeds is dead. But then there's a very practical truth that comes out of that. It means that a living faith is an active faith. And James gives us an example. Verse 15. Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Could there be a more timely example for us right now? We are headed into one of the most acute times of need in who knows how long. 
And we right now, today, we are in this unique moment where we're starting to see it. We know it's coming, but we have no idea how bad it's going to be. We are in this moment right now where we get to plan and decide how are we going to respond to this great need when it arrives. You saw the news this week, right? You probably read over 3 million people filed for unemployment this month. Experts are saying it, it might be 5 million. It might be 6 million. Odds are, if you haven't already lost your job, you know somebody who has. I'm really astonished by the timing of coming to this verse. When Pastor Mason and I picked the book of James to preach from, we had no idea what would be happening in our world. But God, in his providence, in his sovereignty, has put this one right in front of us. This verse where James asks us to imagine, he says, suppose your brother or sister is without clothes or daily food. It doesn't take much to imagine that now, does it? And the question is, how is a Christian supposed to respond in this moment? What is the church supposed to do? What is Boylston and Christ the King supposed to do? If people come to us this week, when people come to us in the coming weeks, If we say, don't worry. Scripture says God works all things out for good. You've heard there's a stimulus bill coming, right? I'm going to pray for you. God is with you. James says if that's our response, what good is our faith? And you know what the implied answer is, right? It's good for nothing. Our faith is good for nothing if we respond to need with inaction and platitudes. Man, I I just think this is so so helpful for us. This example is so good because as we're thinking about that story with Abraham, right? Abraham, his temptation was to look to his son for salvation, right? His temptation was to look to Isaac to save him, look to Isaac to provide for his future, to put all his trust in this male heir who was going to give him this great name and this household that would last for generations. His temptation was to trust in him for the future. And us, don't we do that with money? Aren't we just as tempted to put our faith in a full bank account? And that choice, that decision to give up our resources for other people's needs, that's going to require faith. It's going to require that we trust in God more than we trust in our wealth. That we trust in God more than we trust in anything else. When Abraham reached for that knife, he said, God, I will follow your command even when I can't understand it. 
Even when it seems like it's going to cost me everything. And we may be challenged in similar ways in the next few weeks, the next few months. We will be given the chance to sacrifice for the good of our neighbor in obedience to God. We're going to be given the choice whether we're going to cling to Him for our faith or cling to our own plans, cling to the things that make sense to us, cling to the things that we can see. James is telling us, you believe that there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Demons believe that. The demons are the most orthodox believers there are, but they take that knowledge and they shudder. They take that knowledge and they reject God and they rebel against Him. But real faith is more than knowledge. Real faith is full of action. Real faith follows God above all else. Faith is not passive. It's not just thoughts in your head. Faith is powerful. Faith is transforming. Faith is explosive. Martin Luther, the reformer, was famous for not loving the book of James. But it's funny, I ran across this quote by him this week that almost perfectly sums up the theology of James. James says that faith without deeds is dead. And here's what Luther, here's how he describes saving faith. It is a living, busy, active, mighty thing, this faith. It is impossible for it not to be doing things incessantly. It doesn't ask whether good works should be done, but before the question is asked, it has already done them. Yes. <laughs> and it's constantly doing them. Whoever doesn't do such works, however, is an unbeliever. He gropes and he looks around for faith and good works, but knows neither what faith is, nor what good works are. And listen to this. And yet, he talks and talks many words about faith and good works. All talk, no action. All thought, no transformation. That is not faith. But does that describe the church? That is not faith. That is death. Where will we stand? Right now, we're coming to a moment when we get to see what kind of faith we really have. The way the church responds in the coming weeks and the coming months will show the world what we are really about. Do we act to protect ourselves while we tell others that they should hope in the power of God? Or do we provide for their need 
in a way that proves to the world God's power exists. The theology is faith without deeds is dead. The application is real faith, living faith, provides for neighbors in need. So let's talk about a faithful response. The point is here that faith without deeds are dead, but I wouldn't want to keep going without making sure you understand that deeds without faith are also dead. I'm pushing really hard for us to act. I hope that that this makes us do something. But I hope you understand that what I'm really calling you to is not a greater effort. What I really want from you is not simply more action, but a deeper faith. A real faith. A a living faith. See, if you leave this message this morning and say, okay, from now on, I'm going to do better. From now on, I'm going to be less selfish. I'm going to give more. That may motivate you for a little while. That might motivate you for a day or two. You might even give a little extra this week. But it's not going to last if what is driving you is guilt and just self-determination. If you're just doing it in your own strength. Guilt can't motivate us for long. What we need is something greater. In the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, there is a very well-known chapter that talks about the power of an active faith. The author talks about how faith makes us act, and he goes through this list of figures throughout Scripture and in his current time period. He talks about Abraham. He talks about Rahab, both uh, figures mentioned in this passage. But after he talks about their faith and the, the way that they lived out that faith, he concludes by saying, Therefore, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. See, folks, the only thing that's going to enable us to live an active life to live and, and have an active faith is not guilt. It's not an eternal sense of determination and drive. We need Jesus. We need a relationship with Jesus. We don't need just to see him as an example, but we need to fix our eyes on him yes. as our yes. Savior. Amen. We need to get to know God personally, like Abraham did. To know him so that we trust him implicitly. See, Jesus, our Savior, he was perfectly faithful. Even in the midst of the world turning against him, 
turning its back on him. He didn't waver from placing his hope in glory. He knew that the joy ahead of him, that the joy of being in the presence of God was greater than anything this world could possibly offer him. And so he sacrificed everything. He went to the cross. He endured the shame of being blamed for crimes he didn't commit. He bore the punishment for all of the world's sin even though he had never sinned himself. He did that for you. Yes. Jesus was the ultimate Isaac. He was the perfect son who was sacrificed. But in that final moment, when he cried out, he was not rescued so that you will be. Because of Christ's work on the cross. We don't need to fear if we've been good enough. We don't need to fear if we have done enough good deeds. Because he has. Yes. And by faith, just like Abraham, because of him, God declares us righteous. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. And so that brings us back to the question that we opened with. How does faith make a difference in a time like this? How does faith in him make life better? All of the Christian life flows out of the gospel. It is the place where all of our good deeds come from. Not from fear, but from the power of God working in us transforming us, freeing us from our anxious trust in the things of the world and leading us to a resting trust in Him. Even when things are confusing, especially when things are confusing. An active faith gives us a life where we can say, no matter how uncertain our world might be at this moment, no matter how bleak things may seem. Just like Abraham climbed that mountaintop, trusting that God would provide. We too can follow God boldly into our trials. God is our hope. He is our deliverer. And he gives us a faith that acts. Amen. Amen.